Today's first reading is on page 59 of your Pew Bibles. We will read Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The second reading is on page 929, Jonah chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Today's sermon reading is on page 1135 of your Bible, and we will read Romans chapters 8, verses 26 to 30. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Or good, yes, it's still morning. This morning, I'd like us to continue on in our sermon series from Romans chapter 8. I'd like to speak today and then once more from this. uh, For those of you who are here, uh, yes, next week would be, before Lois and I take a break to the States, would be our last sermon here for a while. And for those of you who come to the evening service, uh, next week we have a different program in the evening, but we will do this on the final sermon on the 3rd of July. So today we're talking about Romans 8, and welcome to all of you who are joining us on Zoom as well. And we look forward to the day when you can join us here in person, and uh, we look very much forward to that. But Romans 8, as I've said previously, seems to me to be one of the main key essential chapters in all of the Bible. In it, Paul, by God's Spirit inspiring him, has almost brought together something of a condensation of some of the great truths of what it means and how one lives for God within this world of 2022. Remember, the first sermon was about the first verse Now, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This absolute essential truth of God 
that God, as we come into relationship with Him, as we become His children, and God enters into us through His forgiveness, and then placing His Spirit within our lives, we move, as it says there, that we are moving from the law of the flesh, or that which leads us to death, to the law of the Spirit, and which brings us into life. So we move from death to life, and what he has said, if we have that experience with God, there is no condemnation. No matter what evil or others would try to say, God has forgiven us and his cleansing is there. And then the second sermon that we did talked about what God's spirit does as he dwells or lives within us. And remember, one of those great things is as God's Spirit enters into us, we acknowledge that by crying out, Abba, Father. And as Paul writes almost similar verses in the book of Galatians, there he says, as the Spirit of God enters into us, he cries out, Abba, Father. So it's as if God is claiming us, we are his children, but as his children, as sons and daughters of God, within our heart, within a spirit, within the very depth of who we are, there is this acknowledgement that we are not just created in God's image, but that God has brought us back. And we have moved from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his son, whereby our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, or Dada. It's an amazing truth about God. And then last week we talked about the hope that God's Spirit establishes within us. That we can know that this world and this life is not the end, but that God is moving us, remember, to an age where He speaks about when the sons or the children of God will be revealed. There is a time coming in eternity we believe that Jesus is coming again, and those of us who die or go before that moment, we will be resurrected, and we will have a body which is a resurrected body, but we will live in the presence of Christ and God forever. And it's an amazing truth. Now, today, we have had these verses read to us. And in that, it begins there in verse 26 by very simply saying this, Likewise, or in this way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So he's going to add to that, add to no, con no condemnation. God is our Father. There is an eternal hope. Now he's going to add to that as an assurance or an encouragement as we live for God and His Spirit lives within us. And look what he says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Has anyone here ever felt a bit of weakness? All of us, haven't we? Let me put two hands up. Now, weakness is not necessarily a bad thing. We tend to think, particularly in our societies, that we present only the good side. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, remember, God had left in him what he called a thorn in the flesh or a weakness. Listen to what he writes. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. 
And listen. But he said to me, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Ever thought about that? That maybe a reason God has left weakness is that in that very place, the very power of God would be revealed. Because he goes on and says, now I've learned to actually glory in my weakness. Because when I am weak, the strength of God comes through. The way he writes it in another portion, he says, I, I will glory. And I said, we have this treasure of God. I like particularly the Phillips paraphrase of this where it says, and it says in the original, we have this glory of God in an earthen or a clay vessel. And Phillips in his paraphrase says, we have the glory of God in a cracked clay pot that through the cracks the glory of God can shine out I found that to be incredibly descriptive So, he's, but he says in these very places of weakness God the Holy Spirit will help us now look what it says in the rest of that verse for we do not know how to pray as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I don't know about you, but I can identify particularly with the first set of words in this verse. Sometimes I do not know how to pray. We sometimes simply do not know how to pray. But the promise here is, is that the Spirit Himself will pray for us in this situation. And he himself intercedes for us. And what I like is this whole idea. It says he intercedes for us with groanings that are beyond words. Or that there are no words able to express. Can you imagine that? God's spirit praying for you. God's spirit praying for me. And instead of words coming out. Oh, bless Dennis today. Help Dennis to make the right choice. Help Dennis to switch, switch wherever he's at in the, on the computer. He's headed in the wrong direction. Help Dennis to shut off the TV. Help Dennis to be nice to Lois. Help Dennis to do... No, no, no. What it says is, is the Spirit of God is going... Oh! At least that loud when it comes to me. And he says, it's such a groaning, it is beyond. There are no words to express. In the book of Hebrews, at the very first verses, the person who wrote it, inspired by God's Spirit, describes such another moment where in God's kingdom, words were insufficient to express what God wanted to say. And he begins in verse 1, this says, in times past and days prior, God spoke to us by his prophets. And then in verse 2, and he says, but in this last time, he has spoken to us in son. And the beautiful thing, if you look at that in the original, in the English, it'll say, in his son. And some will expand it even further, but in the other it says, in huios, in son. In other words, at a moment in history, 
all that God had said through this prophet and through that prophet and through this word and through that word. Words were no longer enough and God himself expressed through Jesus what he wanted to say. Like John records that in chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw in him the glory of God. And goes on in verse 18 and he expresses how he, we have never seen God, but he who is God and with God expressed to us exactly who the Father is. You see, when there were not enough words, God expresses. Now, here it says, God the Spirit prays for us in this manner of groaning. I like listening to my son preach. Because he's a groaner. He will get to a place and he's going to be so excited about what the Bible's saying. Before he starts preaching, he goes, oh. And at first when he went to his church, all the people said, do we need to get him an aspirin? Or do we need to get something like that? No, 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 no. You see, really, he's so excited about what God has said. There's this groan. And they're like this. You see, the problem, if you do not say it in words the automatic understood question is, how then do we understand? If we don't know what God the Spirit is praying as he fours us, for us. Well, the Bible answers that question, doesn't it? Because it doesn't say how, but it says the answer is who. Look what it says. And he, referring to God, the Father, who searches the hearts, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Wow. He who knows the hearts. Remember the account when Samuel the prophet was sent to anoint a new king. And he comes and the direction is that tribe is selected. The next direction is the family of Jesse is selected. And then he automatically thinks, well, if it's going to be one of his sons, he then calls for the eldest son. The eldest son comes. But before he can anoint him, God says, no, that's not the one. And literally, if you read that this afternoon, you will find that one after the other of the sons come and God still says no. And finally, Samuel says, well, don't you have any others? And he says, well, we have this little curly-headed fellow out taking care of the sheep. And he says, get him. And then God says this, Samuel, you have been looking at the external. God looks at the heart. Let me give you an unpaid for advertisement. After this church service, you're going to vote for a group of people to search for a new pastor. As you vote as God leads you, but as you pray for them, Could you pray that God gives them an anointing to be able to look at the heart? Because what we need are men and women who in the depth of their heart and soul know God. 
And God looks at the heart. Or if you read Psalm 139, we find, you know, you have searched me, you know me. In the very depth, there's that part of Psalm 139 where it says, and if I would take the wings of the morning and flee to the end or fly to the end of the earth, when I arrive, you are waiting. You know the depth of my heart. God knows him. So God the Father, it says, who knows our hearts, he also knows and understands the mind of the Spirit. For those of you who like patterns, realize that it begins with, we do not know how to pray. God the Father knows, and eventually it will come to the point where now we know. We don't know. God the Father knows, and then we know. How does that process happen? He outlines it for, outlines it for us here. He says he prays for the saints. That means the holy ones of God or those who have been set aside for God, those who know him. But you've also noticed in verses 26 and 27, it uses this same word. He intercedes for us according to the will of the Father. Intercedes in the first verse 26. It's basically the same word in Greek. But they added additional prefix in verse 26. It means there, very simply, it's hooper entagogatonom. And the hooper means to intercede for or to speak on behalf of someone. And the other, the root part of it, means to bring someone into line. Now, in verse 27, they leave off, as he writes, the hooper part of it. But there he uses just this N, which means to intensify, and then the root, which means to bring into line to, and as you study that word, it means bring into line to by enabling them to hit the mark. And many commentators then will write and say, actually, in classical Greek, this is always used, this word is used, as the antonym or the direct opposite of missing the mark. Missing the mark in Greek, uh, harmatia means to sin. So literally what they are saying is, God the Spirit intercedes for us, and these groanings are saying, hit the mark, hit the mark, hit the mark, hit the mark. Oh my. According to the will of the Father. Could I just ask you today, have you been aware of the Spirit of God Speaking and just coming out and in the depth of your soul, he is speaking. Hit the mark. Hit the mark. Bullseye. Hit the mark. In the last two years, this has been the deepest spiritual truth that has searched the depth of my soul. As I began to realize that God the Spirit, and as we go on in these verses next week, we will find that God the Son prays for us, intercedes for us in the same way, crying out to God the Father, hit the mark, hit the mark. And so he says he prays for us in accordance to the will of the Father. How does that go? Look what that says to us in verses that it goes on, according to the will of the Father, or will of God. Finding the will of God for each of us is, an, is possibly an ongoing, ever-developing thing within our lives. 
I really like the way Paul expresses it in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. And he talks about him being called to be an apostle. And he says, according to the will of God. And then he goes on and adds, according to the riches of life promised in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing thing, the will of God. May I ask each one of you today, are you living? Do you know that you are living? And experiencing, expressing the will of God for your life. Because you see, you have God the Holy Spirit praying, interceding. Hit the mark. He's not praying about over there, somewhere. He's praying very specifically for us in this. And then it goes on in verse 28, of course, and says to us very simply this. And we know that for those who are love God and all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Wow. What an amazing verse. In it, we have to come to the point where we accept that God works all of these things together for good. I have found that the that is much more clear in life as I look back at, in retrospect, how God has led my life. Because as we are seeking the will of God, sometimes we can so clearly see what we are doing today, where we are going, and yet if there is this hesitancy that God's Spirit is saying, hit the mark, and we don't think we're quite there, we can see this, but we do not yet know what this will be. And to release this to God. In order to obtain this is a step of faith. And we must, as it says here, but we know that for those who love God, so if we are loving God, that isn't just saying that God works out everything for good for everyone. No, no, it's not saying that, is it? It's saying for those who love God. And sometimes when we won't let go of that, the struggle is, do we love God? How is that working? In our lives. And so we look at that and says it works together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Then he goes on in those last two verses and he explains that process to us. He says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The word foreknew means that before all God understood I, I like uh, there's a number of ways that people look at this it says God pre-knowing all choices and yet doing it in such without uh, doing it in such a manner without predetermining everything I found that a very interesting quote from uh, Mr. Archer. And then many would refer to places like Jeremiah chapter 18, where it says, and I have promised this nation that I will do this. And then it goes on and says, but if they do not continue, then I will step up and do something else with them. He knows, he is pushing, he is moving us in that direction, and yet he's making his people responsible for their actions. Foreknowledge of God is immense. 
It's that whosoever may come, and before the foundations of the world, God chose. And they are both truths in his word. And then he goes on and he says even further, he goes on and says he has predestined. In other words, he's put a framework around. He's put it within this framework, this predestined and determined to be what conformed to the image of his son. In other words, all of us who come to faith, he, God has already determined that to come to faith, we are going to be conformed to the image of his son. In chapter 6 of Romans, Paul has written, and when we die with Christ, we are identified spiritually with Jesus on the cross. That is how our sins are moved from us to him who is the innocent substitute. And then we are identified with him in his resurrection, that we will have eternal life and live with him. But he says they are conformed to the image of Christ. Remember, as we studied 1 John, John would say, for those who say, I love God, and they hate their brothers, he said, no, 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 no. Or he says, if I am walking in the light, and yet we live a lie, he says, no, 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 no. We are needing to be conformed to his image. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. And that does not mean that Christians don't make mistakes. If I was going to write a book about the mistakes of Dennis Wright, I would have to start several years ago to finish before I pass. And an even bigger book would be The Mercy and Grace and Love of God. But he has said here that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. In 2022, one of the struggles I think that we as church, we as Christians have, is what does it look like in 2022 to be conformed to the image of Christ? The change of what one was to what one becomes in Christ. And so he goes on and he says, and those that he has predestined to be conformed to the, to the image of his son in order that there might be he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, the father desires his kingdom, his children to be great in number. Remember he said just a bit previously, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And then he goes on and says in the last verses there, those he predestined, he also called. And that word means literally he calls us by name. He has predestined that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. There is salvation in no other name than Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. But then he has called us. He invites each one individually. His spirit comes and speaks to us. Like it says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Or as in Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Meaning the door of our heart, of our life, of the depth of our soul. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and be with him. Amazing thing, God calling. And then he says, those he calls, he justifies you call, you must ask honestly, have we heard the name, or have we heard God calling us? 
And he says, those he justified that he calls, then he justifies. In other words, he moves them from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his son that he moves to be justified means that God looks at us and as we repent, he gives us forgiveness and he transfers our debt of sin upon his son because his son has died for us. And therefore, the judge of heaven says we are no longer guilty because our guilt has moved to his son. And then it's not over. He says, and those that he has justified, he will glorify this eternity with God as his sons. Now, so what do we do with all of that? Let me just close by these two thoughts. One, we've read here that God the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And as we looked at that word intercede, we understand now that that means God's Spirit is groaning saying, hit the mark! Hit the mark. I'd like to ask you today, are you consciously aware of anything where God's Spirit in the last week has been praying before the Father and He is representing you and He's saying, oh, hit the mark. And you have consciously chosen not to. Or you know that it is there and yet God's Spirit is speaking, hit the mark. Or have you released yourself to God and you found the great joy? Yes, we're hitting the mark. And one might say, well, how in the world is that possible? Listen, what Paul writes a little bit later in the same book of Romans. I appeal to you there, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Or in some translations it says, do not let the world push you into its mold. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Literally, to obey the Spirit saying, hit the mark. And to experience the will of God, what Paul now explains, brothers and sisters, present yourself a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, all the sacrifices were dead. Only in the New Testament In the ultimate Lamb of God, do we have a living sacrifice who presented himself in our place that our guilt would not simply be transferred to one who was dead, but our guilt would be transferred to one who is living, who experiences death for all of us and lives for eternity. And he says, present yourself a living sacrifice. And sometimes as a living sacrifice, it's difficult to stay on the altar. That is where this interceding of the Spirit is so important. Hit the mark. Hit the mark. So let me close by asking you this.
Do you know the will of God? What Paul has described is it'll take listening to God, but it will take putting ourselves there, presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. And allow God's Spirit not just to stop us being conformed to the world, but to literally transform us into the image of His Son. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to come and to worship you. And Lord, it is a great day to be able to worship you. And as we consider these verses that God, you inspired Paul to write through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, we are so thankful that in our weaknesses, the Spirit helps us. And then, Lord, in that moment when we do not know how to pray as we ought, oh, Lord, you with deepest groanings beyond words, you intercede for us. And you are interceding for us according to the will of the Father. And you are praying, interceding, hit the mark, hit the mark, hit the mark. And sometimes, Lord, we have chosen to miss it. But Lord, we pray for each of us today that we might once again be encouraged today to realize that you have not given up on us. But you've called us. You've justified us. And you, Lord, you're leading us to that eternal hope. And so I ask for your blessing upon each one who is here. May they know the reality of God in their lives. If there's anyone who needs to correct their course, they have been saying no. They know that they have not hit the mark. At this very moment, might you as our God come and correct our direction in life as we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. May we stand and sing our hymn of response together.